It's such good shit. We need some banter to go with this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of energy to banter at the moment. You know who's always got energy to banter? MJF? John Moxley. Oh, uh, yeah, him too. Guy shot out of a cannon. What are you referring to about him? <laughs> well, I don't even know what that means. I'm just trying to give you banter to start the fucking show. To play Did us he... in? To play Did us get in. get shot out of a cannon? He's just got a lot of energy. He's a high energy guy. All right, well, speaking of a lot of energy, guys, welcome to the show. This is Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where the three of us brothers talk about all things wrestling, and we discuss especially the stuff that is such good shit. Uh, Today, we got kind of a big week. One of the major WWE pay-per-views took place over this past weekend, so we're going to be breaking down and discussing everything that happened at Survivor Series War Games. Um We'll go ahead and start with the first match that took place. It was the Women's War Games match, which featured uh, Damage Control, uh, Bailey, Dakota Kai, Io Sky, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley against uh, Bianca Belair's team, which is a just thrown together mismatch. People, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Mia Yim. Um, Alec, what are your thoughts on this match? Um... My my biggest takeaway is Becky Lynch is back, and I think it's going to be good for business. Uh, you know, she had a big raw segment with Bailey, so it looks like that's where we're going out of this. And I'm excited for Bailey and Becky to mix it up. I don't know if we've had the Bailey heel Becky face configuration yet with those two, so I think it'll be an interesting wrinkle. Um, but in terms of the war game match, I mean, you know. It was a train wreck in a good way. Yeah, I don't know if they've had a top feud, uh, Becky and Bailey. I don't know if they've really... I can't think of a singles match that they've had together. No, they've basically only met at uh, either multi-women things or uh, back in NXT. Uh, but they never had like a full-on feud, which is why I thought it was weird when... Uh, I think it was Corey Graves was talking about the fact that, you know reigniting the rivalry and i'm like what rivalry like well, they're I the mean, one combination of the four horsewomen that we hadn't seen yet they've definitely had matches but in a but not a full-on sure. yeah um i do th- want to call attention to the fact that becky is a big star and upon her return she's going to work with bailey um and I find it unlikely that Bailey's going to get the better of this interaction, which means Bailey's going to lose two feuds in a row coming back from her injury. Um, so I don't know what you guys make of the looming Bailey burial. I mean, I don't want to speak it into existence, but it's getting a little dangerous now. Damage control yeah, is basically I, dead on arrival at this point. I was concerned about the same thing when I saw that they were entering a program. It does feel like it makes sense for the story, but... Bailey desperately needs a win, so I think. Well, and who's going to work with Bianca too? Because I just assumed we were going to yeah. do Bianca and ba- and Becky again because you know <laughs> it's sort of like Lesnar and Reigns, or <laughs> there's just no one else. So I, thought I, we I think it's Ray. It's, 
I think it's Ripley and uh, Bianca is where we're heading. Yeah, but I would assume that that's not going to start until yeah, that feels like more of a where Ripley wins the Royal right? Rumble unless we're going to have somebody else win the Royal Rumble involving Ronda, which I assume that that's where Becky's going, but it's totally possible that's not the case. Um, it's surprising that Becky returned directly to Raw. It seems like if you're going to have her uh, jump ship, then she's got to win the Rumble because it makes no sense for her to just jump ship for no reason. Uh, the Rumble is the only thing that gives her the right to do that. Yeah, I think we are going to do Becky and Rousey. I mean, that's like a pretty open secret. But, you know, there's other ways to get to Ripley and and Bianca. But either way, what's Bianca doing for the next two months, I guess, is the question. I mean, it's easy enough for her to have a short little feud with um, Nikki Cross or, you know, uh, maybe if you broke up the damage control tag team and just had Dakota or EO on their own for a little bit. You could do that too. I think Dakota Kai would be a fun choice to me. Uh, this match I thought was really good. She was honestly the standout to me. I felt like she was the most entertaining person in the match. Uh, Nikki cross also had her moments. I think she was the, the first one that really started introducing some serious violence into the mix, but I just don't think that there's anything that Dakota Kai did that I felt was, you know, boring or uninteresting it felt like every time she was on screen it was the most captivating part of the match um and i it made me realize that she's extremely underrated in her current position yeah i was about to say she was my standout in that match uh primarily she took a lot of hits from everybody she bumped a lot but she didn't look bad uh for doing it right like i don't think it made her character look weak the fact that she was taking all those hits, but like there was one point where they showed a close up of her back and it looked, it looked a little rough. I do want to put out there that I'm officially penciling, uh, Bianca Belair into the, uh, is boring and I don't care about anything she does bracket. Um, it's a, a crown that was, uh, proudly worn by Roman Reigns, John Cena before him. Um, I'm moving her over there. I think it's official that Bianca Belair just isn't ever going to lose. And so I uh, have waning interest now in her stories. I just, they haven't done enough for me to believe that she could lose. Therefore, I don't, I'm not interested to watch her matches. Sadly, I hate to say it, but I think that's where we are. And I'm, I'm, I'll be the first one to jump off the bridge here and go into that camp. Yeah. They booked her too strong for, for too long. And all of the stakes have kind of come out of her matches now. It feels like there were so many opportunities that made sense for her to to drop the belt, even if it was going to be for a short period of time, and they didn't pull the trigger. And so at this point, I just don't see... When we get this close to WrestleMania, I just don't expect a title change if you've been booked that strong. So there's, it, there's no stakes in any matches that are coming up. Um, granted, we only have two premium live events, which is Royal Rumble and then Elimination Chamber is going to be in February. I just don't see her having any sort of real adversity between mm-hmm. now and then. And I mean, even if she drops the belt to Rhea Ripley, we're in a mode now with her where I just it's hard for me to imagine them really going with Rhea, you know, like I feel like Bianca's presence is just looming over the raw women's roster in a way that's 
I don't know, kind of smothering some of the creativity and interest around some of the other women. A la Bailey, who I thought was doing a lot of really good work uh, when she first came back and it's kind of had her legs cut out from under her. I mean, I could see, because Andrew, you said about Elimination Chamber, and that reminded me that a lot of times they like to pull the shenanigans where the long-reigning champ suddenly drops it going into Mania because, for whatever reason, they the matches that they want for Mania are not the ones that make sense long-term going in. They've done this a lot in the past. I could very easily see a scenario where Rhea wins it at Elimination Chamber, um, assuming the Raw Women's title is in one of them. And then Bianca has a rematch one-on-one at Mania. Bianca wins at Mania, and then you continue the Super Bianca story. Not that it needs to be continued, but... Yeah, I was going to say, you use the term story pretty loosely there. I mean, I guess it is a story. Well, stories require a beginning, middle, and end, and I don't see an end in sight, so I don't know if we can call it a story necessarily, but... It it isn't compelling, and that's what's really frustrating about it. And I get it. You're often in a really tough spot when you want to have a long-standing babyface run. That's not usually the way to make compelling TV, Um, at least not given how overexposed everybody is now. You know, people always go back to like, well, Hulk Hogan did it. It's like, yeah, Hulk Hogan wasn't on every show. He wasn't on TV every week. It was a big deal for him to have any matches. Exactly. It's a completely different ballgame. And you look back at the Attitude Era when people were actually on TV almost all the time, but they didn't hold the bell for that long. Shit got passed around a lot because it made things more compelling. So it's just very difficult in this position to justify why you would have somebody hold the belt for this long and just be booked so strong. It's, it makes things boring after a while. They've become very one dimensional. I think what it comes down to is it's, it's a merch game and, um, there's just this hesitancy to move away from these top baby faces and they want to keep that merch train going. But you look at someone like Steve Austin, who I think is universally accepted as the most over baby face probably ever. Right. I mean, if you look in terms of any metrics, ratings, merch sales, pay-per-view buys, um, Austin was on the chase a lot. That's they handled Austin well in the sense that he won the belt a good amount. Right. And he won all those rumbles, but he was on the chase a lot. There were formidable villains um, under the guise of Vince McMahon who he was having to contend with constantly. Cena never had that villain, and it was kind of where they did Cena a disservice. And it's the same thing with Bianca. There's no foil um, to Bianca. Uh, I think where it's different from the Roman Reigns thing is Roman Reigns is the villain, and it's the fans are excited to see who takes the belt off of Roman, but presumably Bianca being a baby face, there's not supposed to be excitement for Bianca to lose. So it, it doesn't really make sense to book her this way. Uh, one thing I didn't want to touch on, you said about how Cena didn't really have a foil uh, at his peak edge was definitely his foil. The two of them traded the belt back uh, a couple times. Um, I mean, if you th- think about the list of Cena's major, you know, feuds at that time, Edge is definitely up there as a major But it wasn't villain. compelling. I mean, the, the, these sure were the was. dark days. How many... Nah, I disagree. 
I disagree. And as much as I love Edge too, you have to keep in mind that Edge's run with Cena ended, and then there was a good amount of time where Cena was super Cenaing with no foil. So well, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, I mean the biggest thing is it. It was you know the WWF back in the day was always a babyface territory. You had guys like um, Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino holding that belt as a baby for years, right? Every now and then you'd use a heel to transition the belt. Uh, like Iron Sheik only held the belt for like a month before he dropped it to Hulk Hogan. Uh, it wasn't until towards the end of the Hogan run that you started to see the swoopy swappy of belts, right? It goes to right. Savage, goes to Warrior, goes to Slaughter. But that's, that's what Andrew was saying about more the exposure recent thing. thing. Because when people talk about Bruno San Martino, you needed the baby face with the name value as a draw, right? Because most of the revenue was coming from live attendance, um, ticket sales. But it's that's not really the case now. When you have weekly TV, one guy isn't selling the tickets, right? So... I don't know. I don't think you disagree with this, but I think that's kind of outdated logic, the whole baby face territory. Oh, but sure. I think, it I think it is. I just dominant is better for television. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that that's what it's been historically. And I think right. there's still that mindset there, which is funny because Triple H, who's running the show, had his reign of terror, which was the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoy Triple H's reign of terror, right? What undercut Triple H's reign of terror is there was never a baby face that they could make the move with. Um, and you can say what you will about the whole Goldberg thing, but there were other things at play that made that not work out, right? Um, so I, I think Triple H's reign of terror would have been perceived a little bit differently if if there was a Cena ready to like take the belt off of him, right? Because when Batista finally foils... Triple H at WrestleMania, whatever it is, 24. Um, you know, he did the honors and it meant something because Triple H never lost. Yeah, and part of it too is not just that it's a long baby face run. You can do those if you have a compelling baby face. I think, and maybe this is my, just my personal preference, but also because of the way that they've done it with Cena. And with Bianca now, they're just unbeatable. They they never it's never like, oh, how are they going to overcome this challenge? They try to play that narrative, but the way that they overcome the challenge is just by doing the same thing that they've always done. They never do anything interesting or creative. They were always just better and stronger. Mm-hmm. And so they win. Yeah. And, and the- that's kind of it. There's not a lot of creativity. Whereas when you have and, and Brian, unfortunately, Daniel Bryan didn't get a long run, but had he had that, you could already see them playing that out with his first match with Kane. It was like, how is he going to overcome this? And that match is very creative and interesting. And you could have seen an entire summer of him trying to find interesting and creative ways out of situations. A la like the way the Bret Hart would plan finishes to matches where he would mm-hmm. have to overcome adversity. It, it's totally different when it's just like, Oh, well the adverse, like I'm just bigger than him. I'm going to beat him. Like that doesn't right. You can you're not, try you're to no longer tell the that underdog. story doesn't work. Yeah, you're no longer the underdog when you're the biggest person on the roster, the most. And you kind of hit on something too that's an important distinction. Where if Bianca was more compelling and interesting as a character, it could work. But 
she is very one dimensional on the microphone. And I think that that under, like, I'm not sure she's ready for the position she's in as good as she is. I don't think she's ready to be a 400 day champion the way Roman is where Roman is able to keep things compelling. And the, the Roman segments are the most important segments on every show. And it's the one that you're looking forward to, despite him being champ for whatever it is, 700 days now. So, because we saw Becky on a similar reign of terror, but it's Becky was just, she's just a better promo. And that's not saying Bianca won't get there, but I do think it's maybe too much too soon as well. And that's not going to do her any favors, her being Bianca. Bianca would have been and could still be more compelling with a mouthpiece. I feel like she is an A tier or an S tier, I guess, if you want to use the actual tier system. She's Very an S tier worker, yeah. but she Very is like a C tier on the mic. Right. Um, and granted, there's honestly, that's one thing the women's roster, I feel like, struggles with. It's hard to for me to think about people who are really compelling on the mic. Outside of the four horsewomen. Ba- Bailey's really good. Them. Becky's really good. I was thinking, like, I don't like Charlotte, but she is really good. Sasha's yeah. really good. Um, Alexa... Is actually is pretty good. Pretty I don't think good. that she's in the same level. I think she's a, a like a rung down from that. Um, Agreed. I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, Rhea Ripley. That's she's top tier. Um, she's got those tools. But outside of that, it's really hard to pinpoint anybody else who's really compelling in the same way that right. Some of your your. Uh, world champions on the men's side are. Um, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's just... I think Wrestling it's, quality it, is so important right now in the women's division. I, th- I think what it is is that the women's roster is pretty young and inexperienced when it comes to uh, being television characters, right? The four horsewomen have a lot of experience at this point. And that's kind of what I was saying with Bianca, where I think she could get there, but you're doing her a disservice by putting her in a position where she's needing to carry these major stories week after week after week. She's got the belt when she's, you know, doesn't have the reps on the mic yet. To, the, the mic is very much a, it's just like in the ring, you need those reps to get really good, right? Cena wasn't an A-tier promo when he first started. That's part of the reason the fans kind of rejected him is his promos were pretty plain and dry for a good amount of time. Um, but in recent years, he he got there. Uh, and it's the same thing with Roman, right? Roman is an A-tier promo now. He certainly wasn't when WWE first started pushing him really hard. So I think, Andrew, uh, to your point, it, it may it's probably a mix of inexperience from some of the women down roster and also a mix of a lack of opportunity because we've only pushed two to three women really aggressively, right? We're not giving air time to some of the women down card as well. Yeah, I think it's a symptom of the generation prior to this, of not really having uh, a real women's roster and not treating women's wrestling the way it should have been. And that kind of created this situation where if you're a good wrestler and you have a good character, you were getting pushed to the moon because they needed to expand that roster. Right. Two, di- two dimensional to was good enough it. to get yourself over. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's something that takes a generation to really start to develop where pe- these younger people are coming in 
and get a chance to really build their way up. Whereas, you know, Becky, Charlotte, and Sasha, while they are S tier on the mic, they kind of got brought in and immediately pushed because they needed top women stars and they didn't have that. And even then, the next few people that came in, um, Alexa, Bailey, um, trying to think of that class that came in with that first uh, brand split and draft of women from NXT, they really just had to start filling out uh, the roster and getting main event spots that maybe they weren't ready for. Well, and not everyone's going to be an S tier promo. There's not even Mm -hmm. on the men's side, you know, once you get away from the main event, there's very few uh, super promos from the guys down the card. So sure. Like you have a Seth Rollins or Sami Zayn who can really talk, but for every one of those guys, you've got good hands that maybe don't have the same skill on the mic. Um, I think it's maybe more noticeable. Right. And I think it's maybe more noticeable for the women because their roster is smaller. Um, so it shines a bigger microscope on it. Right. Whereas the men, it might be the same percentage that are that have that S tier promo, but they're more numerous, right? Because there's just a bigger roster. So that could be part of it as well. That that's a that's a fair point. Um it's definitely uh I think the the only real flaw that Bianca has uh, as far as her own skill, I would, I would never discredit her for the way that she's booked. That's not really her problem. Yeah. So we had mentioned earlier, Ronda Rousey. I don't know if that's an, if we want to transition there or I, I just think in terms of the women's conversation, it makes sense to go to Rousey next. And for me, um, I mean, I don't have much to say outside of, it's staggering how little she's improved in the last year or so. Right. Like she definitely was improving early in her WWE run, but it feels like she's really plateaued in terms of it's, it's tough, man. I don't know if you can justify her being the champion. I really don't. Um, I mean, what do you think? Cause for me, it's like, it's not even just, her not being compelling. It's that she's just not as good as some of the other women on the roster. And it doesn't feel fair that she's taking away that spot. Yeah, no, it's tough. She really needed this run. She needed to be full time. She needed to hold the title. I just don't feel like it's very compelling. And I honestly, I feel bad for Rhonda I think it was obvious that she was going to need some time to develop. She's more of a celebrity athlete and they are putting her. I feel it's more booking than anything else and not Rhonda's fault. She yeah, maybe don't put her in is, 30 minute matches as often as you're doing, knowing that she needs those reps, needs those house shows to sort of. Also, you got to give her some of your compelling people. I get mm-hmm. that we're, we're probably on a collision course for her to fight Becky. They don't have anybody else on that level. They don't even have anybody else, you know, approaching that level. Obviously, there's very few people on Becky's level. In fact, there's but the question zero. is, if you were just going to feed Bailey to Bianca, why didn't Damage Control go to SmackDown? Right? Maybe Bailey could have traded the belt with Ronda a little bit during this time to prep her for Becky. Like yeah, there are Bianca... women on the roster who are compelling, so. And that's what's tricky. I mean, this is a testament to the value that Charlotte and Sasha and Naomi have. 
to that roster that them being gone from SmackDown, I, I mean, Liv Morgan should have been a good champion. Ronda should have been a good champion. Nobody can really survive with the lack of depth on the SmackDown roster. And for some reason, they brought Becky back and put her on Raw. And again, I don't think it's a Becky. Her to move. I don't think it's a Becky thing. I think Bailey and damage control would have made more sense on SmackDown. I agree. But I mean, this I can understand that when Bailey came back at SummerSlam, I don't think that they realized what danger they were in. But I think at this point, it should have been pretty yeah. clear that they needed to make a change. And the option that they had was we have Becky coming back. That's always an excuse to move people around the roster. And they didn't take the opportunity. But What's so are next you for Ronda arguing, to do? Are you arguing that Ronda's lack of... Because it's not even just how compelling her matches are. I just think the quality of the... I don't think she's improved in the ring in a meaningful way. And that that makes me worried. And are you insinuating that maybe some of it is the dance partner? That's sort of undercutting her. Like, right, if she's in there with Bailey, maybe these matches are looking a little bit better. Yeah, I don't I don't think that it's fair to Rhonda that she is in this position where she's carrying these matches and this star power. Obviously, she's the champion. That should be her responsibility. However, I think it's clear that she's the champion because of her status um, in the world. And that this needed to be taken care of and handled in a different manner. She should have been one of those champions where her challengers are really the ones helping mold her. And it's nothing against the people that uh, she's wrestled. They're honestly really good. They deserve those spots. Um, however, mm. she needs an, you know, she needs a ring general to be working with her. Well, this comes back to right what now. I said about Bianca, which is. I don't know if Ronda was ready for the spot she's in, right? It's one thing to win the belt or to be the champion. It's another thing to be a long-reigning champion, right? Have to carry the brand in that way. And I'm not sure if either of the women who have the strap right now are ready for that level of responsibility, right? Where you need to just be so compelling on your own that you can elevate the people around you. The thing with Ronda is... Her first run that that one year was really well done. I think the only trip up was uh, the weird heel turn at the very end that felt forced, like they should have done it earlier, and then they didn't, and that was a little funky. But since she's been back, it just feels like she's lost a step. And I don't know if it's, like you said, that she just hasn't gotten better, or that she was... that she is worse. I don't, I don't really know, but I just don't find her matches. Like I don't, I don't look forward to them like I used to. No. And and that we'll, we'll transition. Uh, This wasn't the next match on the card, but it does feel like the natural um, place to flow to. So I do, we will touch more specifically on Ronda Rousey's uh, title defense here against Shotzi. Um, Obviously, if this match was good, maybe our opinions and what we were just saying would have been different. I don't necessarily hate the match, but there was a period of time where Ronda matches were really good and really interesting because of the the way that they were doing things. And this feels, it, it gives me flashbacks to Goldberg's first WWE run, where 
There's mm. a way to do this. And instead, she's trying to, you know, <laughs> she's trying to have like a, an instant classic, you know, technical like Kurt Angle match or something. And she, she can't. She can't do it. Um, but that's that's what I was driving at earlier, which is if she can't do it at this point, when is she going to be able to? Because she's been a full time wrestler now for quite a while. Um, and it, I think, it think might you have be to start asking she, the question is maybe she's just not as good as. Uh, you know, uh, Liv Morgan, right? Or maybe she's just not as good as some of these other people on the roster, which is fine. But it brings me back to the original point, which is, is she taking a spot away from people who are more deserving and could do more for the brand? Yeah, and that's the thing is, the fact is, Ronda's a serious mainstream star. When she's booked correctly, we've shown, we've seen that it can be effective. I mean, she is one of the reasons that there was a all women's main event at WrestleMania 35. Right. She's but part of WrestleMania that. 35 was a long time ago. And I do want to point out that I agree. Her star powers really waned um, mm-hmm. in the context of like ultimate fighting championship. She's not looked at historically the same way uh, that we looked at her five years ago. They've had their women's division has sort of gone to the next level. And she's sort of, kind of a dinosaur of an older time. Um, and so I like would imagine the UFC's that UFC's version of the Bella twins. Right. right. Like when, yeah. the, when we had the Bellas at first, we're like, Oh wow, they were so much better than the people around them. Mm-hmm. But then as we got to the four horsemen or horsewomen and, and Paige and people like that, it was like, Oh yeah. The consensus is Rhonda would get worked pretty hard if she was coming up in the current UFC. Um, and all that's to say is that that, her waning star power on that side of the fence paired with her overexposure. I'm not sure how much she actually moves the needle at this point, having her on a marquee, right? Cause all the people who tuned in initially, I mean, unless you converted them to wrestling fans, and if you did great, but then they're not just tuning in for Ronda anymore. I don't know how many right, new fans you're getting to tune in because Ronda's right. on the card. Yeah. And honestly, it just, um, I just think, it's very clear that she would work better if she's her matches are done a certain way. And we've seen that in the past, that if you have a star like this, you should be working around those limitations. Instead, they're trying to turn her into a wrestler just like everybody else, but she's not just like everybody else. She was supposed to be special, so let her be special. Don't just have her take a ton of offense from Shotzi. Because now Shotzi is the one that looks special because she almost kicked Ronda's ass. What, so what's the goal here? Shouldn't we be building Ronda up? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the goal is that we're just going to feed Ronda to Becky and sort of turn the page on Ronda as the top dog in the women's division. I think Ronda's got a place in WWE and, and she could be compelling, but what I've been arguing all along here is I think the time for her as a main eventer is maybe passed us by at this point. Um, you know, when you've got people like Bianca Belair and Bailey and Becky, I don't know if she's really got a place at the top of the card. All right, so um, we'll circle away from the the women's wrestling now from Survivor Series. Let's talk about uh, AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. Um, 
I'll start uh, with this one. I thought this was a really fun match. I don't think it was as good as their last um, premium live event match that I can recall, which would have been back in 2017. It was that TLC that uh, a bunch of people on the roster got sick and they had to kind of uh, scramble to get it together. And I'm imagining they called it in the ring. Uh, Finn was uh, the demon at the time. That was an instant classic. This one was still good, but it definitely felt a little bit more both slow and chaotic. Like the action in the ring was slow, but then everything around storytelling wise out around that was chaotic with everybody coming out and getting into a brawl and then going out to the outside and just kind of vanishing from the audience. It, it, I felt like that honestly kind of took away a bit from the match, but I understand that's part of storytelling. Well, it's almost like this should have just been a war games match, right? <laughs> Cause yeah, then you and I, minimize the need for all those other shenanigans. It is unfortunate that they put themselves in a position where there was two very worthwhile stories to tell in war games and they couldn't find a way to get it all together. Um, Judgment day and the OC feels like it should have been a war games match, but I will say because Judgment Day is really compelling, but I don't really feel like the OC is there, it, I think it would have been a tier below the War Games match we ended up getting. So I'm fine with this decision. What I yeah. did find strange was Balor not winning. I feel like that would have been my pick. Um, however, I did find out a stat that AJ Styles hasn't won a premium live event match since 2019. A single well, probably because he was on that that heel run with Omos, so he just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also goes to show that, like, if you book things well, you don't necessarily have to. It doesn't matter. Guys win, to, yeah, exactly. Because I a- wouldn't a- have thought of AJ being on a losing streak. And it's fine, right? Um, you know, I, I, you know, it, it feels like the payoff to their feud should have been the War Games, and they, we kind of got a mini version of that on Raw. They had the the four on four mixed tag. So we kind of got it uh, in the end, um, and it was fine. The one thing that was interesting was both women got physical with men during the match, which I was kind of surprised at because we haven't really seen that in a long time in WWE. Yeah, I uh, I mean, it's. I hope we see more of that. I think it's fun and it's 2022 and i think there's a way to do that that's acceptable right socially um and answer to your point earlier i completely agree with i just don't think gallows and anderson are there in a way to where the war games would have made sense um watching matt to your point watching that four on four it's like okay this is probably better as a raw match but it begs the question why do we uh why are they feuding with judgment day then like, can we move Judgment Day along with something more interesting? Can we have Judgment Day and the Bloodline, right? That'd be compelling. Um, well, I mean, I think the point of the feud was to help elevate the OC. Uh, I don't know if that has happened. I mean, I think they've it's definitely elevated. It's hard to elevate talent that are in their, whatever it is, late 30s, early 40s that have been around. That Like, what are you going to do, you know? I feel like we've seen what the OC are going to be. And look, I love uh, the machine gun, but, you know, they're a mid-card tag team. And I would be absolutely shocked if... The only one who got a real good rub was probably Mia Yim. 
other than AJ, I think AJ came out of it just fine. But I think sure. maybe him, yeah. it was a good introduction for her to the main roster um, above what other things they could have possibly attempted. Yeah, outside of AJ Styles, and honestly, in the current role, uh, maybe not even outside of AJ Styles, I think Mia Yim is the the standout of the entire group right now. I just think that she's actually really uh, interesting and compelling. She's very talented. Um, I would get her away from the OC as quickly as possible if it was up to me. Yeah, in, in fact, I've completely done a 180 on the nickname. I think that they're doing all the things that we were saying that they needed to make sure that they did in order for this to work the way that they call her name, how infrequently they use the nickname. It's more of a reference. They still call her by her name 99% of the time. All of that's working so well. It doesn't feel gross and forced and is totally just delegitimizing her. Um, I will say though, they were way overselling her giving Finn a body slam uh, like it was yes. insane that it happened. It's like, well, it's Finn Balor. Mia Yim is like as tall as him and almost as big as him. Also, it's oh, just hold a on a minute. I'm so tired of people talking about how small Finn Balor is. Finn Balor is absolutely fucking jacked. Um, no, he is. But Mia Yim is also very Finn Balor is like 5'11", athlete. which is, you know, he's an above average size male. So let's give the guy some credit. No, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not saying that Finn Balor is there, but... small, but uh, Mia Yim is. Um, she's sizable, but she's not the same size as Finn. Sure, but Mia close. Yim's been squaring up with Rhea Ripley, and like Rhea's probably the same size as Finn. So. Yeah, Rhea is the same size as Finn. That's more the comparison, and Rhea's the biggest like woman on the roster. It still, it just did feel awkward the way that they. It, it felt like a huge oversell. I wish that they had allowed her to do a bigger, more impactful move or just sell the body. But not at the expense of Finn Balor, right? Like fucking flip Dominic, right? Like I've, I've come around to Finn Balor in the judgment day and I feel like they potentially have something here. They've got a chance at redemption with Finn, who is one of the great talents of this generation. Who's really been kind of wasted on the main roster. Um, and I think they've got a chance here to make it right. So I know it's a body slam, but I would like to book Finn strong in all ways right now. Cause I think they've got a shot here with him. Yeah. And that's part of why I was shocked that he lost this match because from all news sources word and, you know, rumor and innuendo is that Finn Balor is penciled in for, sort of a redemption push as a part of Triple H wanting to be like, this is what I wanted. Um, and he his project is going to be rebuilding Finn Balor because presumably, I mean, that was one of his NXT guys that was probably one of the best runs that NXT had, period, uh, for a champion. So I think that it was just shocking. But, you know, also... If you that is the plan, you're going to have a, him have a big push. Why not just, you know, him losing to AJ isn't going to do any damage to him. And he, if you're going to give him a big push coming up, it's not like he's going to, you know, sit on that loss for a long time. Well, so. and this speaks to we've got to get the belt off of Roman because we need those mm. belts split, right? Um, there's nowhere for Finn to go up 
the card. There's no belt for him to grab that could elevate him, right? You're having to find creative ways to make him feel like a big deal because there's not like a prop you can give him, which to an extent is good, but it is an issue. I think we need to get these belts off of Roman and get them split back up. Mm -hmm. I agree. Because we've seen Finn and Roman before, so I don't know if doing a Judgment Day uh, storyline with Roman would mean much to Finn. It'd probably mean more to the rest of the people right in that match. Um, I, I think Finn could benefit a lot from being like the top dog heel on a show. Um, so I would like to... It'd be cool if Roman didn't have both belts monopolized and Finn could just like run a show with a belt, you know? I agree. I think that could be really fun, and it may be something that we're headed for this summer. I highly doubt that whoever takes those belt off, belts off Roman, there, there's gonna something's gonna happen between WrestleMania and SummerSlam that gets those belts split up firmly, so that we can get back to the status quo. I, I highly yeah. doubt that they're gonna have a singular champion going. More forward. than likely, it's it's the cash in, right? Whatever the money in the bank situation is, that becomes like a, a the cash in on one or the other. Because no one's attempted to cash in on the unified title, right? Which is well, an important. Theory did, but it didn't. He'd end up not actually cashing. But they never said what he was cashing in for. No, like they didn't clarify that he's cashing in for the Raw and SmackDown because the money in the Brink briefcase you're only allowed to cash in for a belt, right? For a title shot, not title. Yeah, but shot, the way that so. they had advertised it going into SummerSlam was that Theory was going to cash in for the undisputed WWE Championship. That's what they said. If you're going to do that, then combine the fucking belt. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I'm so tired of if you're going to consolidate all the belts, then combine the belts and don't have these bright red and blue straps. I just my concern with them combining it is now we're just compounding the name of the WWE title again. We already did this recently. And then how long until we brand split and then make another brand new title? That's the super universal title or some fucking bullshit. I've always been in favor of having one world championship and then having the US and IC built as the, you know, down card, right? So SmackDown, the top belt is the IC belt. That's the belt that's on SmackDown until someone from SmackDown wins the world title. Um, that's a way to not only elevate your secondary titles, but also put more importance on the main belt. And, and it makes things a lot less doing. confusing. Basically, it's what they're doing right now. To an extent. I mean, I don't think anyone feels like the Intercontinental Championship Holds no, that much I, water well, at this point. Well, I don't know. I mean, they just did the World Cup tournament thing for like the number one contender. Like that's a thing. The problem is, is Roman floats right. He's not tied to Raw, so it doesn't. You you need to have. I'm in favor of you need a firm brand split in addition to mm. what they're doing, right? Because the threat of Roman coming to SmackDown makes the IC title not that significant, in my opinion. I could I be think, in the minority here. I think Gunter is doing a lot for that title. However, they need to give him more top tier matches. He needs another compelling he's, feud. He's not getting the top guys to feud with, and that's part of the issue, right? It'd be one thing if Finn Balor was over there working with him or Kevin Owens. Of course, but I, I do think his matches with, with Sheamus were fantastic. They were. It, but Sheamus doesn't have and that star he need, power. He needs to do more of those. They need to give him mm-hmm. more of those. 
he and honestly Finn Balor I would think, be perfect. Exactly. Judgment Day moving over and it would make so much sense. Here so let's do a little bit of fantasy booking before we move on. Judgment Day goes to invade SmackDown. So Rey Mysterio went ran over to SmackDown. We've already saw the Thanksgiving video that went around. I don't assume that that was just like a fun one-off, like, look how heelish they are. So Dominic is, you know, going over to SmackDown with Rhea to go after Ray. Balor and Priest go after Imperium. Now you have the Judgment Day invading SmackDown, and everybody's got a place in that. Um, the only thing that that confuses is if you have that go on for a while, and then Rhea wins the rumble, then she kind of needs to be floating back to raw. So that kind of makes things a little bit messy, but I think that they could navigate their way through that. Well, and who's to say that you can't do Rhea and, and Rhonda. Right. That's interesting. I think that's almost more compelling. Although, although than who's Becky the baby Rhonda face? again? Rhea. <laughs> I, uh, I think. don't think so. Rhea is way more compelling right now as a heel. I wouldn't. Well, I'm just saying she that. is the baby face if that happens. Well, sure. No one's cheering for Rhonda over. I could be wrong, but Andrew, I like that idea. I think it creates a lot of compelling matchups for a lot of people. Gives SmackDown some much needed star power. Um, the problem is to Matt's point with. Uh, Rhea and Ronda, it, it sort of goes for all of the people involved. It just muddies the waters too much on who's the good guy, who's the bad guy here, right? Outside of Rey Mysterio, there's no... I think it just create too much confusion. I, I think it's clearly that's not their plan, maybe is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, plus Rhea going after Ronda, um, while that's interesting, and I would be interested in it, it leaves a huge hole for... Bianca. Um, that she, right. her reign desperately needs Rhea Ripley. Have we to done make Bianca and Charlotte? When was the last time they, they wrestled? They We really haven't. Uh, I think that's so the that could be fun. big thing. Yeah. And you could also do... I know we make fun of the, the Roman and Brock thing all the time, but I think Becky and, and Bianca again would not be a bad thing. Like I, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat to watch. I would love to again. see it as the roles switched face bait, face mm-hmm. Becky heel. Yeah. Uh, Bianca, or at least they're both face and it's sort of muddied a little bit more. I, I think it's compelling to watch it again. If you want to turn Be- uh, Bianca heel or at least test the waters, right. Do it where it's two babies. But you know, obviously Bianca leans a little more to the heel side because somebody's well, got to be. If we want to really fantasy book this, I would love to see Becky and Rollins with Montez Ford and Bianca get a little mixed tag coming out of WrestleMania eh. season. Yeah, those are I'm, good for one off. I'm all in on. I know we're not reviewing Raw, but man, Montez Ford is the man. I think yeah. we did a good job really pushing him in that tournament deep a few weeks back. I agree. Plus. Listen, if they can do the the mashup of Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans for a pay-per-view main event, then I think that they can get a, a nice, decent mid-card mixed tag match with those people because they're infinitely more compelling. Yeah, although I will say, two. I'm, I guess I've gone back on my whole, like, I don't want to see Becky and Rollins ever team up again. I think it's just, they're both way worse off for it. It was fun when they were both heels, but... I think you you need Becky to be a big baby face at this point. Like the, the roster just needs it. 
Right. Maybe you do. It, it's, maybe you bring back the mix match challenge. This way, it's its own thing. That is awesome. It doesn't affect the main storylines unless they really wanted it to, right? And then this way, you can have those pairings and not affect the main feuds on the show. And they also that, have a, a lot of idea. legitimate couples now that they didn't have then. I don't like also, that. They just brought back Sarah Logan. Hey, only, brother. I have no interest in... I don't care who your real-life partner is. They don't have don't to be real-life on ones. They don't like, have to be, but they do have a lot of those, and you got to prefer they were probably some good chemistry there. I would prefer they weren't. Kayfabe only, brother. I'd like to see Ronda Dom... Or not Ronda, Rhea and Dominic teaming up in it, I think. Well, so are we going to talk about Dominic's tweet where he uh, broke Kayfabe? We don't need to see your girlfriend and undercut your entire fucking storyline dominic you dumbass you fucking wannabe eddie guerrero ripoff piece of shit yeah hold on alec i I was not aware of this can you uh break this down a little bit more for us yeah so i mean he he tweeted out a photo basically with his significant other um and obviously we've been teasing the whole rhea ripley there's some sort of chemistry there right some sort of romantic angle going on um, and a little, little bit undercuts that when you publicize your personal life. So for someone who's a second generation wrestler, I would have hoped that he would have kept things a little more old school. And this just goes to show why MJF's the man and Dominic is not. Sorry. Sorry for that diatribe. I just, I really dislike the whole, like when people talk about kayfabe being dead, it doesn't have to. If everybody just decided to kayfabe, it would be back. The only reason it's dead is because everybody wants to play video games with heels and baby faces in it. It's we could just all commit to this. It would make the product a lot more compelling, and we could just suspend some disbelief and you know have a little bit of escapism in our lives. That's all I'm asking for. Well, like there's certain aspects of kayfabe that are dead and gone. Right, like everybody knows the matches are worked. That's never coming back. Sure, but you could just still maybe question if the angles are right. You could still legit. kayfabe individual relationships or feuds and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. We know it's a work, but you know, every once in a while, CM Punk drops a pipe bomb or MJF goes off on Tony Khan and that's the real good shit. That's that's what such good shit's all about. All right, so let's uh move on to the semi main here. It's the United States Championship match. Seth Rollins uh defending his title against Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory. Um Austin Theory ended up coming out on top, which I think was the right choice. Um it's very clear that they didn't just bury him for no reason. I still don't think that the any of that was necessarily needed for him to transform his character. I think there was other ways you could do it and then keep him with the money in the bank, but I'm not going to complain about the way that they decide to tell the story. I think that there's still a long way to go to rebuilding him after doing something so mind blowingly idiotic on TV with his character. But this was a fun match. Um, these guys really went after it. It was very fast and fun Seth Rollins is the fucking king of triple threat matches. And I don't know how much of this had his input, but given that he's the most experienced wrestler in the ring, I'd imagine that he came up with a lot of this match and it shows. Yeah, the match was great. And I think it did a lot towards rebuilding theory. Um, 
I think it's just funny anecdotally that if this was WWE of uh, six months ago or eight months ago when McMahon was still in charge, I feel like we'd be having theory as the all new Austin theory or something stupid like that. Right. And I'm glad that we're not doing that. I mean, I like the fact that he's got the attitude change. Uh, he's changed his look slightly. I, you look, you take him more seriously. The moment he stopped having a stupid cell phone and taking selfies and he just focuses on, on winning matches, boom, instant credibility. Um, I think there's still a lot of rehabilitation to his character that needs to be done, but, you know, giving him the U.S. title is a first step. And then the uh, the promo that he did with Rollins on Raw after where, you know, he basically acted like, look, man, you don't call the shots. I'm the champ. I call the shots and I'm not your boy, like, that's really good. It goes it goes a long way to reestablishing Theory as a credible threat uh, and hopefully getting him back to, you know, look, I, I think we all look at Theory as a future main eventer. I don't know if that's a year from now, if it's two years from now, but he's definitely on that path, so I'm, I'm right. glad to see it. The, the big thing holding him back, and hopefully we can get over this soon, is I don't know how many main eventers only have one name, so if we can get him a first name that would be lovely well he's got his name back he's gotten his name back yeah oh is this official he is austin now he's been austin theory for the last month or so well i just you were calling him theory and you know it's sort of well it's like i'm gonna say seth freaking rollins every time i refer to seth rollins right okay well, good. He got his name back. He got his mojo back. We're mm-hmm. we're cooking. I think we're yeah. cooking with theory, and I, I I think we're cooking towards the main event, Andrew. Oh, I also like real quick his uh, real quick uh, theory's new nickname, uh, which is the now Austin Theory, which I think is kind of neat. So, yeah, I dig that nickname. Sick. Hell yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to the main event while we got some time left here. It was the Bloodline versus the Brawling Brutes with Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens inside of War Games. Uh, Matt, I haven't uh, picked on you to start. You want to talk about how you felt about this match? Yeah. Um, so there's two different ways I want to cover this. The first is the action and the just the, the wrestling, right? It was fine. It was good. There weren't. There wasn't anything super memorable in the match. Um, There were fun spots, right? They kept the pace up. They kept it going. It was really, for me, it was about the drama and the storytelling, right? I think that's what it is for everybody. Those last three minutes or so with Sammy and Jay and Roman and KO, that's where the money was. Um, And they did a good job of the entire match of, building up the, hey, Sammy's here for the right reasons. He's here to help the bloodline. He's here to save, you know, he saved Jay on a couple of occasions. The one uh, that I remember specifically was uh, pulling him away before one of the dudes rammed, and it was Ridge, rammed into him against the uh, cage. Um, I think this match is going to be remembered for that stuff, the the Sammy-Jay story, uh, more so than any of the, uh, the action that took place. Completely agree. I, I think for the first time since Sammy joined the bloodline, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel for the, I think this is the start of the baby face turn. I really do. Right. Um, all of the drama between him and KO. Um, and then obviously that segment on Monday with him and KO, I think it's clear 
the story they're trying to tell. And this dates back to when he was on the Austin podcast, right? He talks about how Sammy is, he's trying to get respect and credibility. And he sees being a part of the bloodline as the way to get that. And Kevin Owens sort of piercing through that and saying, Hey, you, despite them saying you're their family, you're, you're not blood. And he's not, you know what I mean? You're going to fall short of what you ultimately want to get here, Sammy. And I think at some point he realizes that and the bloodline starts kind of keeping him down. And I think we're cooking. I think we're going to start stacking those bricks now. And I think the first step was him sort of showing that remorse with KO. It's the first peek behind the funny into, well, what's Sami Zayn actually thinking? What are his motivations? I think it's becoming clear who Sami Zayn will be when he is a babyface. Yeah, this was Sami Zayn's match, and it was fantastic in its storytelling. I mean, coming out of this match, I suddenly feel like Sami Zayn is a legitimate contender for a title. He, They found a way to make him look like a legitimate threat in the ring without him just suddenly 100%. being Superman. He was making calculated, smart choices. He was in the right places at the right times. And now suddenly I feel like this guy's a guy that can navigate his way through a title match. And you know what the next step is here, right, Andrew? It's Sammy needs to start being the MVP of the bloodline, right? He needs to be the one who's doing all the work, um, as opposed to before he was the one who was kind of piggybacking off of them. That's where this needs to flip now, right? Because to your point... I think we've seen how that can work where Sammy works as a top guy, which is it's calculating. He's smart ring general, that sort of thing. Now can we see him start to carry a lot of these matches? So then we can start telling that he's being held back. He's being taken advantage of. You're not going to get the respect that you thought you were going to get by piggybacking off the bloodline. They're using you, but all that is predicated on. He needs to be booked strongly. Yeah. And I mean, this was the first step. He won this match. He saved Roman, he took out Kevin Owens, and then he presented Kevin Owens to his partner so that he could get the win. But it was very clear the storytelling. With, with Sami tear won in his eye, yeah. right? Like they very clearly told the story where he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he he's so desperate for that approval that he's willing to do it, and that's that's compelling. I found it interesting that Roman, even after the victory, was still kind of looking at Sammy like, are you really with us? Right? There's still some doubt in Roman's eyes, and I feel like that's what's going to get played out. Um, Look, the next logical step is going towards the Rumble is probably going to be a situation where Sammy's like, oh, I'm going to enter to be in the Rumble. And Roman's like, why? See, I disagree. I think it's more of a... Sammy performs well in the Rumble, comes up short, and then it's sort of Roman starts perceiving him as more of a threat, right? Being a threat. Because from Roman's standpoint, someone's got to fight him. So why not Mm -hmm. Sammy, right? Sammy, you can win and then lay down for me or whatever. I was going to say, maybe that's the scenario is Sammy. Or you've got the entire bloodline's going to be in there, right? Like maybe it's solo. It's like we're going to help solo win the Rumble. Um, but then Sammy's really the one who's carrying the load in the Rumble. Mm. I think I don't know if we can get to Sammy and Roman by Mania. 
I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say. I think, I think this we is could more if that's the direction that thing. they're going to go. I just don't know that it is. It feels like the direction they're going to go, which is a bit of a letdown, is KO and Sammy versus the Usos, which just feels like it doesn't complete Sammy's storyline. Right? Like, it it feels at this point that Sammy needs to be the one to dethrone Roman, or at least have the match against him to attempt right. it. Because I finally know who Sammy is, right? Sammy is this under pre Kevin Owens said it perfectly. You've always been great. And I'm glad that the WWE universe is starting to see it. And the story is that Sammy's this underappreciated guy, right? Who people don't believe in. Um, he's discounted, discredited. He he's looking for that respect. He looked for it in all the wrong places, and then he finally, you know, gets his due, right? And his due can't be fighting the Usos, I don't think. It has to be Roman. So rumor and innuendo is leading everybody to believe my, my sources are confirming that the, the current plan after what happened this weekend is for Sammy to fight Roman in February prior to WrestleMania at Elimination Chamber, which takes place in Montreal. So that's a big deal. But the, the thing that sucks, though, is that there's no way Roman's dropping the belt there. But Unless he just drops one of them. Fuck, what if he does? And what if he does because of The Rock and fuck it, Roman doesn't take the belts to Mania. He just fights The Rock in the main event without a title. I don't and know Sami if The Rock is happening. There's a way to else. build up Elimination Chamber enough to where, look, I, I've done a complete 180 on this. Uh I didn't believe I've always believed in Sammy's talent, but I didn't believe that WWE would pull the trigger. And I didn't believe that they would believe that he could be the top baby face. But I feel like I see it so clearly now, like this can be your guy for the next five years, right? This can be the next guy that can be at the level of Roman. Um, Cause he's doing it next to Roman every night, you know? Like as soon as you sort of can see it because you see him in the ring with Roman, it's like, that's a main guy. Um, and I think that if you have the star power, Andrew, to the Elimination Chamber point, it doesn't have to be WrestleMania. Yeah, right? they're in his hometown. This could be... Roman this losing could feel will like... be... Money in the Bank 2011, right? It's Money in the Bank. Yeah. It's not WrestleMania. It doesn't matter. If you've got the right guys and you've got the right story, and, and that's what WB's really lacked, right? Um. You, they pencil themselves into these. We need, we're building to this. It's like sometimes you just need to. The story comes presents itself to you. You just need to go with it. I think that's what what's disappointing is I I do think that the the long term plan was for Cody to return, win the Rumble, dethrone Roman, and I still love that plan. But this story is becoming too good. This story has to end with Roman losing to Sammy. The story has to end with Roman bringing in some fucking outcast and treating him like shit. And eventually, basically, he digging his own grave slowly over the course of months. So I'll say this. There, there's another way with Sammy not losing to Roman. Hear me out. Let's do a little fancy booking. So they obviously want to do Cody Rhodes beats Roman, right? Um. I think there's a way to do Cody Rhodes over Roman. And then it's sort of like the evolution against Chris Benoit thing where, where Orton sort of takes 
goes over Triple H to take on Benoit in the sense that Sammy is kind of passes Roman and he's the one who's able to conquer Cody. And then you also tell a very compelling story around Cody being Homelander, right? He Cody's not the underdog. He's wrestling royalty. And it's sort of, I think you get this really interesting thing where you've got Cody and Roman really are the silver spoon guys. And Sammy's the true underdog, but he's sort of playing in the background through WrestleMania season. But eventually you, you know, you're teasing it the whole way. Right, you're seeing Roman and Cody, but really we want to see Sammy and whoever. And it sort of bubbles a little bit longer than maybe just shotgunning it. So you're projecting potentially like a uh, Cody beats Roman. Roman can't get it back through the summer. Sammy Zayn wins a shot at the title, beats Cody. And now approaching or, maybe or Roman, this time next year, you have the story of Roman is like that. Maybe they're they were still friends through the summer. The bloodline's still a thing. They're trying to get the belt back, but that Sammy's the one that gets the belt back. And it's like, well, you're not the head of the table, Sammy. Yeah, I think so you, you tell a similar story to the Randy Orton Evolution thing, except this time you've got a guy who's good and over and is a baby face. Because yeah, you don't what I think is good, what's going to happen with Cody, I think people will believe and people will be invested in Cody winning the belt because we just are so hungry for anything. But I don't think Cody's a long-term baby face. I never have. I'll never believe him in that spot. I think Cody is truly a heel. And I think what will happen pretty quickly is fans are going to reject going back to the well, Roman and Cody. And I think if you play into that and you utilize Sami Zayn being there, you can tell a very compelling, like I said, I think it's do the evolution with Randy Orton, but you, you kind of swap Sammy in there and you're building towards the ultimate bad guy, which is Sammy and Roman, not necessarily Cody. Right. But it allows Cody to get a huge rub. Um, it gives you storytelling through the next year, right? You get these marquee matches, Roman and Cody, the rematch. You get Sammy and Cody. You, you're building to uh, Roman and Sammy. I think there's a way to dance with all three of them that works as opposed to saying, fuck it, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, sorry, Cody, you got hurt and we're just going to shotgun Sammy. It's crazy that this time... We're like spoiled for good choices now. Really, either decision they go with could be really fun and really compelling. And I think the the fans actually genuinely like both guys dethroning Roman. And they like both guys in general. And it used to be, it was like, God, I really wish they would do this, but we know they're going to do this and it's going to suck ass. Well, And then we get, there's a lot of matchups we haven't seen yet with Cody that are going to be interesting if he has the belt, right? Because it's not just Sammy. I think Kevin Owens plays into this too. I think Kevin Owens being that sort of fourth wheel in all of this, you get a lot of interesting matchups with Kevin and Roman and Kevin and Cody and Kevin and Sammy maybe eventually, right? I think those four are sort of your building blocks for the next several years in WWE. And I think they are telling that story a little bit, right? I think when you look at the end of the Rumble, it's going to be KO, Sammy, and Cody are going to be involved in one way or another. I think we're going to get that snapshot soon. Yeah, and I think... WWE, while the visual of Roman with two belts is awesome, I think WWE should be kicking themselves right now for not finding a creative way to get the belt split up and establishing 
two champions on two brands again, because right now they desperately need this bloodline story to be going on in one place and for Cody to be able to come back and do what he needs to do in the other place. I think that they can find a way to make it all work, but the easiest solution would have been Cody returns to raw and, you know, has a, takes the belt off Seth or something. And so allow you're not the buying story my, to happen independently. You're not buying my Cody is Chris Benoit, WrestleMania 20 and Sammy's the, uh, the true heir apparent. You're, you're I like it. That. I dig it. But personally, I think the best thing for this story now, the real true ultimate payoff is pull the trigger. Sammy kicks Roman in the face at WrestleMania and wins the title. The question is, like you can get there, but are you, are you sort of, throwing out a lot of opportunity and make some money by stretching that story a little bit. Right. Like, is that more of a six month story than a three month story? All right. What do y'all think about this idea? Um, what if you do a scenario and I'm not exactly sure how you get there and where mania falls with this, but you have a story where Sammy is obviously now taken in by the bloodline, Jimmy, Jay solo. They're all, 100% in on Sammy, right? They trust him. But now as Roman starts to be paranoid, you think um, kind of like Austin um, 2001 when he was doing the heel turn or Triple H in Evolution when Batista was right behind his back the whole time, right? You start getting Roman to be really paranoid and start making poor decisions. And ultimately... Sammy takes over the bloodline, right? Boots out Roman. Roman fumbles the ball somewhere. Okay, hear me out. Say, say, say we get Roman and Cody at Mania. Roman loses. And Sammy is like, dude, what, what the hell? And now it's, now this transitions more to a Kevin Owens, Sammy, Roman story, right? Where it's, Kevin comes out and is like, you became your worst enemy. You became the thing that you were trying not to be but you were so enveloped in this bloodline is your family bullshit and you fell for it so much. And now you've become the crime boss, right? And then you almost have this thing of, you know, Sammy becomes a full on heel. Roman is now a broken face who's paranoid and he's been booted out of his own thing. I don't know. It could be interesting. It could be. I just, Deep down, I feel like the money is in Sammy. It, it's it's the money is in Sammy, um, not trusting the like the roles reverse right where Sammy starts to think they're taking advantage of him right. Does he trust? Does he trust them? That sort of thing, right? I I, I kind of like the symmetry of it started off. Sammy wants to be a part of the bloodline and, and they're not sure about him. And then it sort of flips where it's like, well, hold on a minute. Are you guys taking advantage of me? And they're trying to earn his trust. You know what I mean? I think there's like a nice round story to tell there. Um, but I mean, I, it could be interesting to see Sammy as the big bad. I just don't know if I've always felt like Sammy's, best use is as a baby face. I feel like he's the ultimate baby face. Um, and he's done a great job as a heel, but 
and I'm sure he could be menacing. I just, I think it would be so easy for him to sell a bunch of merch, you know, like I really do. And so I'm just not sure that we, uh, I don't know. I could be convinced anyway. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It's, it's the first time they've really had money in their hands in several years. So yeah, it, I do like the idea, though, Matt. I love the idea of Sami Zayn stumbling his way into becoming the tribal chief and having the wild Samoans come out and display the necklace on him and make him the head of the table. Like, that'd be absolutely insane. But um, the the money is definitely in Sami Zayn becoming the ultimate babyface. Uh, basically, the, the, the next generations daniel bryan they need a moment like that it's been a long time and we were coming up on 10 years since that moment good lord and i just think so sammy as a baby face opens up a lot of opportunity for like i was saying earlier i'm very excited to see the pairing of roman cody sammy and kevin over the next several years and i think it's very exciting to think about Sammy and Roman release the babies and Kevin Owens and Cody's the heels in that matchup. And there could be flipping and all sorts of stuff. But I think that you've got for the first time in a while guys who are ready to be elevated to that superstar level. Right. So it's WB is going to need to thread the needle here to not undercut one of those four um, in order to elevate one of the other three. If that makes sense. And I don't know. Do you guys agree that that's sort of the four? Like I'm leaving yeah, off I Rollins. Think. I'm leaving off uh, Drew, but I I did that intentionally. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. I think that's the four. That's kind of the, the head. Um, so I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for us this week. Um, remember to rate and subscribe to us on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Uh, like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are such good shit pod. You can also email us such good shit pal at gmail.com. Uh, what do y'all, what, what else y'all got before we, uh, before we go? I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to the U uh, S men's soccer team who uh, beat Iran and, and will be advancing uh, in the world cup, which is substantial. It's the first time in nine years and, we're all red-blooded Americans, and, uh, you know, freedom prevailed. So congrats, boys. Good Lord. Hey, if the president's going to give them a shout-out, we can give them a shout-out.